Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents, and because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. You don't protect yourself no one else is going to do it for you and they'll run you into the ground until you have no more else to give so kind of figure out what is actually important to you what you actually want to do and how you protect yourself and all things that you do Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. I am excited about this next episode. I had such a great conversation with my good friend, Deron Brown. Deron is so amazing, love his energy. And he also just did something really interesting. He actually sent me two bios. So he sent me a professional bio and a personal one. I obviously love the personal one more. You get to really know who he is. And it is just also something that was really striking as if you only read the professional bios of people It's just so plain, so boring. You're not really getting the story behind who they are. And so my hope is that our professional bios one day start to resemble who we actually are as human beings, really starting to put in those words and those stories of authenticity so we can really show up as who we are. So love that he sent me both bios. I'm going to read both. I'll start with the professional bio notes that he supports the strategic development and ongoing management of the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation's investment portfolio. So in this role, he monitors existing managers and evaluates prospective managers in all asset classes and conducts portfolio and strategy analytics. Prior to joining the Hilton Foundation, Duran was actually a consultant at Bain & Company and then a senior associate at the University of Pennsylvania's Office of Investments. He has a lot of degrees, so he has an MBA from Harvard Business School. He has a Master of Management Studies degree from Duke University, and he also has a degree in human biology from Stanford University. So a little unlikely, wouldn't think you would have a human biology degree and be in finance, but we get into that story. So that was really interesting. And now the personal one. So he did write it in first person. Deron and I do not look alike, (laughs) but just pretend I'm Deron right now. We give the same energy, like lots of, lots of energy, lots of happiness and joy. So we're just going to pretend I'm Deron for right now. So I always say that from the outside looking in, my story seems pretty simple. A Southern kid from a prestigious all-boys prep school makes his way to multiple elite universities and ends up working in management consulting and finance. But with a little digging, you quickly realize that my story is not the fairy tale that my resume presents. You miss the financial struggles growing up that forced the development of my ambition, the constant failures and rejections that made me as resilient as I am today, and the constant denial of my sexual orientation. Although difficult, 
Those things help shape me into who I am today and serve as a reminder for me to maintain a focus on prioritizing happiness and being in spaces where people accept me for who I am and where I can be my authentic gay black Southern self. I also like to remind people that I didn't get here on my own. I was lucky enough to have an entire community looking out for me and making sure that I stayed on the path to success, which is also why, to me, success is not limited to what I accomplish professionally, but also includes the personal contributions that I make to communities like mine. So I love that. I love that bio. I love that description of Duran. It is certainly very accurate and I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to have my good friend, Duran Brown. And you guys all heard just this amazing intro about him. He has all the degrees, but we want to get the story behind the degrees, the story behind the success. So I am super excited to have you, Duran. Thank you so much for making time. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I can say something insightful. (laughs) I'm sure you will. I would love to just start with your childhood if you could just tell me about how you grew up, about some of the like qualities and attributes that your family would use to describe you. And maybe we can see how that connects to who you are today and the work that you're doing today. How my family would describe me. I don't know if we can do this on network TV. Let me stop playing. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, you know, they talk about what it takes to raise a child. It takes a village. And I am definitely the product of a village raising me throughout my childhood. I probably stayed with my grandmother, my aunts and uncles, shared beds with cousins, shared rooms with cousins, different people picking me up, taking me to basketball games. It was really a group effort, kind of getting me to where I am today. And so I am forever, forever, ever, ever, ever thankful for my family for that. And so I'd say they would still describe me as like, I'm definitely the oddball a little bit in the family, but like the curious kind of overachiever kid. So I'd say a lot of things about me is like, Growing up, I wasn't from the hood hood, but I wasn't from, (laughs) it was like hood adjacent, right? (laughs) We had townhomes, but I was still looked after by a lot of the kids in the neighborhood and things like that. It's like very much like what you see in the movies is like, oh, this kid could be going places sometime and somewhere. Like he's really smart. So like, let's watch out for him. Let's keep him out of the trouble. And so it kind of helped me out because I was like the kid that didn't fit in anywhere, but also kind of fit in everywhere, which was also a product of this moving and kind of going to different schools. I always tell people I went to like six schools in six years. And so it really, (laughs) it really creates in you an ability to either connect with people quickly or kind of find yourself sitting alone all the time. And I'm a social person, so couldn't have that. I love that. Yeah. And I definitely can see that now just in the friendships and the relationships that you have today. It's certainly very diverse. Can you tell me, actually don't, I know you're from the South, I think. Can you tell me like exactly what town did you grow up in? How did that inform your value system? Yeah, so I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, Hampton Rose 757, home to legends like Michael Vick, Allen Iverson, and also home to like the largest naval base in the world. So there's actually a lot of military people around, including my dad, who is in the Army. And shout out to my little brother, who is also joining the Army and is about to be on his first deployment into the month. But I think 
being from the South is an important part, I think, of who I am and just in how I think about things in terms of family, kind of behavior, manners, that whole thing, and just like gentle kindness, food, super important to me as well, and just some pride about being Southern. But then there's also that military influence. And so I guess there's like connectedness to kind of the sacrifice that people make to protect this country. And I guess being a little bit proud of it, even in some moments that don't make you feel that you would love everything that the country is doing. But, you know, there was just always seeing that sacrifice that people around you are making, spending time away from kind of their families, but also just, yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about it until this question came up. So I'm like, oh, man, yeah, that was kind of influential to me and maybe why I'm a little bit of a rule follower because of that. Yeah, I love that. That's the point of the podcast or trying to ask the questions that maybe you haven't thought about. So I love that. I think that's great. And yeah, I'm a rule follower too. So from LA, I don't know why we we'll have to do that <laughs> in another episode, but <laughs> I am a lawyer, so that might make sense. So I am really curious now just about, you talked a little bit about being an overachiever too. And so how did you get to where you are today. Why did you choose business? Like what brought you there? Yeah, it's actually a roundabout story. I actually, for a long time in my life, I wanted to go to Princeton. And I wanted to go to Princeton because I saw Carlton on the Fresh Prince conference. Like that's where he wanted to go. I was like, oh, okay, like that's the school. That's clearly where I need to be going is Princeton. And I don't know, when I was like an eight-year-old child, here I am thinking, I just want to go to Princeton. And then in 1998, I want to say, Stanford was in the final four. And I'm like, oh, these kids play basketball. They're good at sports and they're smart. I was like, okay, now I want to go to Stanford, right? Having completely no idea like what it takes or how hard it would be. But that was just in my mind that I was going to go to Stanford. And so it was funny because actually when I got in, I looked up, I was looking up to my mom. I was like, mom, I was like, it's five hours from LAX to get to Stanford. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to get there? I think it just shows just like how I think unaware I was of kind of what I was kind of getting myself into, but kind of some of that like ignorance is kind of what allowed me to kind of go after those dreams and super excited and happy to have kind of been in that mindset because I may have held myself back if not for that. But even then when I went to Stanford, it was still like, small town mindset of I could be a doctor or a lawyer. So went in thinking I was going to be a doctor, <laughs> did home bio, and then, you know, just kept seeing things about business, being interested in it, became president of the Black Free Business Society, started saying, I'm going to get my MD, MBA. And I just realized along the way, it was like, I actually like business more than I like medicine, right? I don't necessarily need to be a surgeon just to prove to other people that I can be a surgeon and should instead do things that actually align with what I'm interested in, which is what actually ultimately took me to Duke for my master's in management and, you know, basically experimenting or seeing all the different aspects of business. And I was like, yeah, no, I actually enjoy this classwork. It doesn't feel like homework. It doesn't feel like organic chemistry. (laughs) It feels interesting. I'm curious about it. I want to learn more. And so here I am today. I love that. I love that. And you were able to be so self-aware. Could you tell me about one of the pain points in your experience when it comes to your career or personal life and how that has really just changed your perspective? 
Yeah, whew, I mean, so many of them, so many pain points along the way. Actually, before starting this, I was like, oh, let me think about some of these mistakes or tough periods that happened and like how they influenced me. I was like, it's always those bad moments that end up being so instrumental and in changing the way you think about things. And some of the good stuff, I'm like, I can't even remember that. But one of them was actually, I think it was about five years ago now, I was working in consulting. And I basically was like on the verge of like a nervous breakdown and called my therapist one day and was just like, you know what? I was like, I'm losing it. And she was like, that's it. Like you're going on a sabbatical or like you're going to get like committed. Like you got to figure it out. Right. And it was during that period of time that I really spent more time, mandated time (laughs) with my therapist, like twice a week at that point in time, just kind of figuring out really what it was that makes me happy and what it is that I want to do. And like, how do I create a life that is kind of more sustainable? Because I mean, at that point in time, I was basically working myself into the ground. It was 8.30 to midnight type hours. It was constant stress about things being right. It was constantly stretching myself on kind of projects to prove that I deserve to be promoted. And it was not (laughs) necessarily healthy. I grew a lot and you're like, and you think to yourself, oh, this is what you're supposed to do when you go to Stanford. This is the career you're supposed to do. You're supposed to talk about how tough it was or how many hours you worked or like the projects that you led and the stress that you made yourself go through and not necessarily thinking about kind of your health and your well-being. And this really pushed me to the point where I was like, no, I have to think about it because work will not think about it for you, right? It was like, even before I got to the point where I had the breakdown, it was because work didn't necessarily think about it enough for me. I told them I was like, it's been tough. I need an easy project. And they said, oh no, we want you to be on one more, just one more one, just one more. And it was like, yeah, no, if you don't protect yourself, no one else is going to do it for you and they'll run you into the ground until you have no more else to give. So kind of figure out what is actually important to you, what you actually want to do and how you protect yourself and all things that you do instead of trying to prove to people that you're worthy of kind of their expectations. Yes, I love that. Like that is just speaking to the choir right now. I think it's so important. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview you specifically, because I think you're someone who is successful And a part of that success is that you're happy and that you're doing work that's aligned with your purpose. And you went through the grind and with the struggle. And I think that I want to get to a point in society where we don't have to take medical leave, like where we can build in sabbaticals, we can build in break times, we can build in systems to better support well-being and mental health. Because you're like me, like we are ambitious and we're never going to stop being ambitious. Right. Right. <laughs> like it's just like it's too hard. So we have to figure out ways to set boundaries, but also to create structures and systems to help us maintain those boundaries. And so I'm sad that it took that to get there, but I'm glad that you were able to do that. And I would love to know just about like the work that you're doing now and what makes you happy. Yes. So the work that I'm doing now is perfect for me because it mixes, like you said, right? my kind of ambitions and career goals with doing good work, right? So currently work for the Hilton Foundation on their investment team. And the foundation's whole point and mission is like alleviating human suffering, particularly for those disadvantaged and underserved populations. So we do work 
both domestically and internationally, children affected by HIV AIDS, providing clean water, homelessness, foster youth. So all really amazing causes. <laughs> so when I am working hard, it is not necessarily to enrich someone or some corporation, but is really to help out populations that are in need and often overlooked. And at the same time, I'm able to do that by doing something that I really enjoy and I love, which is within the finance realm, right? It's one day I'm looking at multifamily apartments in San Diego. And the next minute I'm talking about like cryptocurrency. And then the next minute I'm talking about Southeast Asian e-commerce businesses, right? I'm a super curious person. I love to learn, love to figure out how things work, love to talk to people that are very knowledgeable and experienced and kind of just pick their brain and learn more about things. And this is like a job where <laughs> you can basically never be an expert, but you can always be learning, which makes it much more about kind of each day and what you get to learn versus there being like a final destination or something saying, like, oh, I'm an expert in this and therefore I have something to strive for and I can just enjoy the journey versus the final destination. So it's it's great. And then it just, and then when you hear about the impact of the work you're doing, so you're like, ah, oh, super, this is cool, this is interesting. And then you hear about the impact I want to shout out, you know, Mississippi Center for Justice, uh, which is like kind of one of our grantees. And they just, you know, the great work that they're doing kind of in Mississippi. And then just, you know, talk to one of the, I guess, the CEO uh, kind of about the impact of the foundation's donation and kind of what it was able to help in times of need and like the joy that it brought to them and the work that they're able to do because of it. Uh, it just makes going to work feel so different. So friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast, and that's Latinx Empower, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcast. I love that. And I think I would also like to talk about, I think it's important to talk about money as well, just because, you know, a lot of us are, we get these degrees, a lot of us, at least in our circle, we help our families financially, and it's important to have financial stability. So when you are making a certain amount of money, it is hard to leave that job. And so I know that you're pretty thoughtful about this. Can you walk us through that process and how you made that decision? Yeah, the golden handcuffs are real. <laughs> and it can be a very kind of scary thing to think about when you're kind of leaving a position or a track. Thankfully for me, by saying in finance, I knew that overall I'd probably be okay. But when I first made the jump, it was kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm taking a pay cut. It wasn't huge, but it was a pay cut. But I thought about it in terms of dollars per hour per stress. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I will never have a job that has a better ratio than the one that I am going to. And I think that's much more important because I took a Yale happiness class at the beginning of the pandemic and it talked about kind of the diminishing marginal returns of happiness on incremental dollars that you earn once you get beyond, you know, security, right? Knowing that the things you need are covered, the things you 
even in coming from where you need to support other family members, you're like, it's going to be okay. Like I can handle that. And so like, it definitely crossed that threshold. And so I, I don't need to make what all my business school classmates are making because that stress, they, they could have it, right? The time that they're doing for those things, they can have it. But it also came meant, you know, living below your means at all times, right? And so I even think about now, I've been in the same apartment for like three years and my income has changed dramatically since then, right? But if I were ever to leave this job and need to go do something that paid less, I'm not feeling that hit because I haven't really adjusted my life in that way. That's great. That's great. It's actually, we're pretty similar as well, but I need to get out of this apartment. Uh, (laughs) We've been in this one bedroom apartment for three years. We're both working attorneys. He's very much about living below the means. And I think it's a good idea. So we're sticking it out, paying for a wedding. Uh, (laughs) The way these rent prices are going up, girl, you better stay. (laughs) You know, the millennial challenge. It's hard to get a home right now. We're going to get it one day, one day. Mm -hmm. So I love that you brought up the happiness class at Yale. I believe that's Lori Santos class. Is that correct? I think so. She has this podcast that I love listening to. And I think that's great. I think that is just something I wish we would have had when we were in undergrad, because we're seeing a lot of successful friends of ours or people. And there's not always like the happiness quotient is not as high as I would like it to be for a lot of my friends and sometimes for myself. And so I think it's just such an important thing to focus on when it comes to building a successful career, building a successful life. So I love that you took that class. I think I should take it as well. (laughs) So I would really like to hear just about how you define success. What is your definition? So defining success, and actually people kind of get mad when I answer this question the way I answer it, because it doesn't necessarily have any kind of benchmarks or like things that I want to accomplish, but it is all about kind of maximizing my happiness actually is how I define success. And so, and that's how I look at all the decisions that I make, whether it is kind of the career that I'm going after or like, right, right. Because when I think about success or for me, right, it's like, okay, I want to be like the job that I care most about is ultimately becoming father. And I want to be the best father that I can be, right? And in order to be successful at that, which I think will bring me a lot of happiness, and in order to be successful at that, I need to have kind of flexibility in my kind of work life so that I can be at the games or drop them off at school, right? I need to have enough money so that I, you know, kind of, we always want to give our children more than we had there as well. But it also helps me think about things in terms of trade-offs and decisions that we're making, right? So when I was in business school, I didn't go to like skip like three days of school to go to the final four when Duke was playing in 2015. And that like experience, I will kind of never forget. And we haven't won a championship since then, but it was very, made me so happy. Tried to repeat it in New Orleans, did not. Right. But like, it was successful to me because that is something that I still remember. Right. That is something that brought me joy. That is something that increased my relationships. Right. That is something that led to failure in school. I definitely failed a class because of it, but I still think of that as a success because it increased my happiness. And so I tried to separate what success might typically be seen as and more equated to like what makes me happy so that I'm the only one that's like the internal barometer on whether or not, you know, it was successful and not kind of the outside world. And so that, I guess that's kind of how I think about it. That's amazing. I think that's, 
Yeah, that's deep. I think it's wise. I think it's something we're all starting to figure out in our like maybe millennial generation. Um, not everyone, but I think, yeah, I just don't think we thought about happiness as much and our joy. We just thought about the grind. And I think it's important to try to figure out that balance. And it's really tough, but maximizing happiness. I love that. I love that part. I'm adding that to my de- definition. Yeah, um, they're all about delayed gratification, but at some point you're like, well, when does the gratification happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's so true. So do you have any just general lessons learned that you would like to share with everyone? seems like I know you had a lot of different experiences that I know we can't touch on, but if there's any lessons you'd like to share, love to hear about it. Uh, I think one that I learned is don't define yourself by your career or like your profession because it becomes kind of how you think about your self-worth, right? And if anything goes wrong in that kind of profession or you're no longer in that profession, it really takes a hit to like your self-esteem or how you're feeling about yourself, right? I hear it a lot of times from our professional athlete friends, right? It's like, oh, I'm no longer in the NFL, no longer in the NBA. Like, what am I now if I'm not kind of that person? Right. Or even in the global financial crisis, like I was an investment banker and now I no longer am that. Or right. In my time period, I was a consultant. Oh, and then I, I'm in trouble. I might get fired. Right. What is that? So if I don't, if you don't define yourself by your career and more other things, you kind of, I guess, look at yourself in a kinder way. And then also you're just not as attached to that job either. And then you can also, you know, be more willing to take risk and to go about and trying different things. Right. If you're always, that finance person, then you're no longer willing to maybe go work at that startup. And maybe that is limiting your like your own success and your happiness. So I'd say that is probably one of the bigger ones there. I love um, that because, you know, that is how I feel. <laughs> I had that realization <laughs> with the bar exam. And just a follow-up would be, how do you define yourself now? If you're not defining yourself by your career, because I think for me at least, it's a little bit, it's still hard. Right. I still define bits and parts of me by the work that I do. I know it's not the most important thing, but I just can't get out of it, Theron. I can't too <laughs> hard for this degree. I work too hard. But I know it's not the most important thing. So I think there are other qualities that I define myself worth by, which is important. But yeah. How do you define yourself? I guess I changed my perspective when I was actually sitting at my grandmother's funeral. I mean talk about like a a dark place to have a revelation, but you have people, even this during COVID times and not as many people could come as they wanted to, but people are getting up and talking about kind of the impact that she had on their lives from kind of small things or people I had never met in my entire life. And I thought I knew all my grandma's friends. Right. And it was like, so I started thinking about, I want to define myself by like the positive impact that I have on other people's lives. Right. Like how I will be remember it. And then I look back on when I was in college, I was an asshole. I was like, oh, geez, you are a horrible, you are like, you are not the nicest person to be around. But now I think I'm much better. I'm empathetic, you know, and I lead with that when I'm in anything that I'm doing, right? Even if I'm at work, it could be my Emma saying, if I'm considering this or that, I'm like, you know, go for it, right? <laughs> it doesn't benefit me at all to say that, but I want people to know that like, I care about them. I want to have like, be something or someone that has like impact them in a positive way. So like when I am gone, that people can say coming up to the funeral talking about, oh, you know, that one time you gave me some food when I was hungry. He didn't need to do that. But boy, what could cook, right? Like those are the types of things that I think I can look back on and like want 
myself to be remembered by rather than you're like, oh yeah, that time he like made like $10 million for something. Like that's not going to be something that anyone ever remembers or cares about. And that's not really necessarily the impact that I want to think about or defining myself. Yeah, that's great. And there's, I mean, you said a few things that I want to touch on. One, you said you were an asshole in in college. I didn't really know you in college. Like, it's so crazy. We went to college together. I think we became friends after. Why? Why do you think that was? And how did you become the person that you are today? Just because you are so friendly and kind and like, just hilarious. So, (laughs) okay. So I would say I was an asshole, but I was like, it's like, I say hurt people, hurt people, or you try to scare people away. So I was like, first impression could be rough. But once you kind of got past that, like, if I was your friend, you knew I was your friend and like had your back and all those types of things. And so people either love me or hated me. That's more of what I would say, just because I would say I, I do care about people and I show it through my actions. And so I was like an asshole on the surface. But I also think it was just my therapist and I talked about this too. I think I was trying to push people away that I thought may hurt me or not accept me. And so like, that was a good like almost screening mechanism. And then on this journey of enlightenment over the last two years during the pandemic, I also think it was just like, at that point in time, I wasn't out. So I wasn't fully comfortable with who I was in terms of my own sexuality or like with that, you can't get to any level of happiness. And so if you're like, if I'm not going to be happy, maybe other people have to go let other people be happy either. Right. And you look back and you're like, that's just sad, but happy to have made it through that now. But yeah. You live and you learn and you get wiser as you age. And yeah, I hope to change it when I was a kid, but I'm glad I can realize it now and like start making that path to being a better human being each day that I go forward. I love that. And I know you're certainly doing that because I just don't know about your business world as much. And I find it fascinating. I would love to know just about a career highlight that you could share. Oh man, a career highlight. Or educational highlight as well, either it's funny because I would say I would attach a career highlight to a career low light where I was interviewing. I hope my boss is not listen to this. <laughs> uh, let's just say I was interviewing at a place some time ago, <laughs> not to be defined. And then I actually got a kind of rejection, like the worst type of rejection, actually, where I was told not only did they not think I was qualified enough, but they didn't think I was necessarily qualified enough even if I took a step back in positions to kind of work at the organization. And I remember being on the phone and I'm like crying. I had to go on mute. I'm crying. I'm like, I cannot believe this. And he's like, but maybe if you know, you can prove yourself. And I was just like, prove my, I was like, I'm a black man in America. I have literally been proving myself every single day of my life, every single day of my professional career. And I was like, and I believe in myself too much to take a step back uh, because that's just foolish. Right. And I would say for me, that was maybe a highlight because it was the first time in which I had to, I think, just really look at kind of my own abilities and kind of be my biggest supporter and believer in myself, right? And not necessarily let someone else impact the way that I felt, right? And just be proud of what I could do and have done and kind of move forward. And then shortly after that, I actually ended up getting promoted. So (laughs) I was just like, oh, well, this is a great highlight, but not necessarily become because of what I accomplished, but was more about how I felt about myself and how I was not going to allow myself to be kind of treated. Wow. I love that. And that is such an amazing, a 
accomplishment. Like that's what I would define as one. What I would love for us to start defining ourselves by is just like being comfortable, understanding our worth, understanding like we've worked this hard. We deserve to be here. I'm not taking a step back. Like (laughs) you already know, (laughs) look at the experience, look at the degrees, look at the resume. (laughs) Like I'm a black, I love that. Like everybody can't see this on the podcast, but I was literally like snapping my fingers (laughs) movement when Duran was just preaching about being a black man in America, improving himself every day. So I just am so inspired by your self-realization and your self-actualization. I actually just learned about that term from my therapist myself. <laughs> Listen, therapy, all the lessons, all the lessons come from therapy. They do. I love therapy. So the last thing that I would like to touch on is really just if you have any final thoughts. Sometimes when I have these conversations, I feel like there's something we might not get to. That there's like If there's this burning story or thing you wanted to share... That would be great. If not, no worries at all. You've already shared so many gems and lessons. Yeah, I just hope that, I guess, the thing that people take from what I've had to say is that what I say may not work for you, right? It's all about finding what is true and what is important in you or your experiences and kind of taking that internal look. But it's helpful and why I like to share a lot, maybe overshare, a lot of people would say, is <laughs> because a lot of people are going through these same kind of things or kind of struggling with these things internally and they never really open themselves up to kind of that vulnerability where someone knows that they're struggling with something or they're considering it. And oftentimes when you do, people are there and they're thinking about these in the very same manner, right? And their answer might not be the same answer as you, but just having someone to talk about it with or to know that it's okay or that they've gone through it is super helpful, right? Even in that last story about kind of that interviewing process, I literally told like 17 people right afterwards, right? I was like, I can't believe it, blah, 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 right? And I'm still like, fired up, right? And most people will be embarrassed, right? Like they said, I should take a step back, not me. I was like, look, listen to this. And just having those people's ear, right? Or different stories come out of things that they went through. It just makes it so much better and easier because it's not feeling like you're dealing with things alone. And then also just shows you kind of the power of having community and what you're supposed to have the people around you for, right? They're not just there to cheer for you when you're successful. They're there to help you kind of in those tough times. And then they'll be reminding you of like, you a bad bitch. And I was like, I am a bad bitch. You right. I'm a bad bitch. And that's why I like it. So I say be vulnerable, but also be true and thinking about just what's important to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share this episode with friends and family. And if you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate the show. It helps other listeners find No Straight Path. Let's spread the message, everyone, and make sure that millennials feel less alone. There's no straight path in your career and life, and that's okay. It's honestly what makes the journey exciting. So let's get inspired together. I hope you have a great week.